Well, would you take your Bibles and turn with me this morning once again to the book of Joshua. I'll just remind you that two weeks ago we started this book. Uh, Over this summer we're going to take, I don't know, 13 or 14 weeks or so and work through this book together. Again, we're not going to be doing it exhaustively, but we'll try and do it within uh, each chapter we'll give some attention to. The various men in the church assign particular texts, and then they're going to present what they've learned, and I think it's going to be a really fruitful time for us as a church. You remember as we began last week that we found the people of Israel had been wandering around in a small area in the Middle East for 40 years. There's certainly by now hundreds of thousands, if not a few million people, there just wandering in circles in the midst of the wilderness. We might say as a nation, the people were brought out of Egypt, that when they were under slavery, they were brought out of that slavery in Egypt. But now after 40 years, they're just basically going in circles in this fairly small piece of wilderness, and they're on the precipice now of actually getting into the place where they were supposed to go when they first left Egypt. But as we close the book of Deuteronomy and open the book of Joshua, we find what would seem to be a tragedy in Israel. And that is namely that Moses, their leader, had died. And one of the things that's interesting to me about the book of Joshua, and I think I said this to you a few weeks ago, But one of the things that interests me is that if we were reading this straight from the original language, we would probably begin the the reading of the book of Joshua with the word and, showing the continuity between that which had just taken place in the book of Deuteronomy and that which is about to take place here in the book of Joshua. It's the continuation of the, the work of God. It's the continuation of the work of God amidst the people of God. Like John Wesley said, he said, God varies His workmen, but His work goes on. God varies His workmen, but His work goes on. And this morning, what we're going to do is come again to Joshua chapter 1, and we're going to see how God's work goes on, how God's work continues. And when we do that, we're going to do that by making two observations. Two specific observations. One, I want us to observe the place that the Lord is giving. The place that the Lord is giving. And then we'll finish it up by looking at the people that God is guiding. The place that the Lord is giving and the people that the Lord is guiding. Now, I'm going to read all of Joshua chapter 1. All 18 verses. And as I do, maybe you, you read along with me in your mind. Maybe you have a pencil or a pen or a highlighter or something. And I want you to pay close attention to the number of times that we read about what the Lord is doing. Underline, highlight the word Lord. And then I also want you to underline and high, or highlight the word land. Lord and land. All right, here we go. Follow along. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. 
Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. From the wilderness of this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses, got, that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of, that, of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and whenever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against the commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him, sh- uh, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Now, I don't know how much you followed along there, marking, highlighting, but one of the things that I notice is that just in chapter one alone, the word land is used, I'm guessing, around nine times. Verse 2, 3, 6, 11, 13, 15, 2 times and 15. There's a definite point that God wants to make here. God is, is repeating himself so that we'll get a point. God wants us to understand something about this land and that he is the one who is giving it and that he is giving it to a specific people. So I want you to look with me at the place that the Lord is giving. We are not talking about an allegory here. We're not talking about a figure of speech. We're not talking about a metaphor We are not talking about an allegorical place. We are talking about a real place, a real land with real borders. This is a literal location, a real place, and God is really giving it 
to a specific people, the people of Israel. They are there now on the outskirts of it. They are there in front of the Jordan River getting ready to go in and possess that land that, which God has already in one sense given to them and yet in another sense is going to give to them. This is the modern land of Can- This is the land of Canaan. Modern day Israel is located on some of this land. Not all of it, but a small portion of it. Now you might ask the question, Joe, is this a geography class? What are you doing emphasizing land so much? Why is God emphasizing this land so much? Well, in order to do that, it's important that we go back in history. Did you notice what we saw in verse 6 there? Chapter 1, verse 6, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. This land is being emphasized because something took place back in history. Namely, God gave a promise to the the forefathers. God gave a promise to the ancestors. God gave a promise to the predecessors. There was a promise that was made. And now, sometime later, some hundreds of years later, that promise is going to begin to be fulfilled. Question is, what promise? In order to answer that, I want us to go back almost to the beginning. I want us to go back to the book of Genesis Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. All the way back there, we find that there is a promise made by God. Now, we could say it's made to the first man and first woman following their fall into sin, but it's actually a promise that was made to the serpent who deceived Eve. Look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And we're going to be going through the book of Genesis this morning, through the five first, first five books of the Bible, so make sure that you're ready to follow along. He says here, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, the promise that God is making here is a promise that is to be progressively revealed and fulfilled by God throughout history. In other words, God is going to tell us a little bit about this now, but he's going to progressively reveal more to us about this promise as time goes on throughout history. And this promise looks to the offspring of a woman who would come and who would ultimately crush the head of this serpent. Now, the serpent, the snake, was physically cursed by God. But he is speaking now to this specific serpent, which is really the embodiment of Satan. The promise then was concerning the offspring of the woman who would bring about the demise of Satan. But the question is, who is that offspring? Who is the one who would crush the serpent's head? So what do we do? We wait and we watch. We look And we long for, as history unfolds, to God revealing who this would be. And indeed, as we go through the book of Genesis, we see the offspring of Adam and Eve. And we read about two two men named Cain and Abel. But Cain is ungodly, and Abel dies. And neither one of them qualifies as the one. 
And then we see Seth coming to take Abel's place. But Seth is not the one. And from Seth we see a man named Noah. But Noah isn't the one. And from Noah we see a man named Shem. But Shem isn't the one. And from Shem our attention is brought in the unfolding of history to one named Abram. Abraham. And that's where we pick it up now in Genesis chapter 12. Turn to Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 through 3. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we have what is called the Abrahamic covenant. In other words, this is a promise made by God to Abraham. Look what it says. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham, or at this time uh, Abram, was in the land called Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, according to Joshua chapter 24, there is every indication that Abram was part of a family of moon worshipers. God called him who would become, go from Abram to Abraham and told him that he would make of him a great nation. And furthermore, that he would bring from him a blessing that would extend to all the families of the earth. In other words, he made a promise, a covenant, you might say. We might say that this covenant included both a spiritual element and a physical element. Now the question is, what is that spiritual element? Well, the Bible tells us, Paul goes on to explain it in Galatians chapter 3 when he says this, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Now listen, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. In other words, When God told Abraham that he would be a blessing to all the families of the earth, he was looking forward to the justification or the forgiveness of sins that would come through him to everyone who believed. That's what we would call the spiritual aspect of this promise. In other words, when someone believes the gospel of Jesus Christ... That promise that God made to Abraham so many years ago, back in Genesis 12, is the unfolding, which is the unfolding of the promise of Genesis 3, is coming to fulfillment. There's a spiritual element, but there's also a national element. What is that? To make of Abraham a great nation. This is further explained. Go over to Genesis chapter 13. Verse 14, Genesis 13, verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one could count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Look over at chapter 15, verse 6. Then God said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and counted it 
to him for righteousness. Down to verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land. Now, question, what is necessary to make a nation? Well, most people would point to four things. They'd say, well, there's population and government and territory uh, and sovereignty. Can I just bring that down to two essential characteristics? There needs to be a law and there needs to be a land. And God is making the promise to make a nation from Abraham. In fact, God made an everlasting covenant. Now stop right there. Question, what does everlasting mean? What is the expiration date of everlasting? Look over at Genesis chapter 17 for a moment. Genesis chapter 17, verse 2, that I, this is God saying that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting covenant possession. What do you think everlasting means? Does it have an expiration point? However, we read in Genesis, later in the book of Genesis, that uh, chapter 25, that Abraham was 175 years old, and guess what happened? He died. Abraham died. But the promise doesn't die. What do I mean? Look at Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26. God is now speaking to Abraham's offspring named Isaac. And what does he say? Verse 3, sojourn in this land, 26.3, sojourn in this land and I will be with you and will bless you for to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands. It goes on to Isaac. But guess what happened to Isaac? He died. And God confirmed in Genesis 28, 13 and 14, God confirmed his covenant with a man named Jacob. Look at Genesis 28, 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And then again, he repeats it, and we won't look there now, but in Genesis 35, 9 through 12. But guess what? Jacob died. But what happens? By the time you get to the end of the book of Genesis, you have this people, these descendants of Abraham, these descendants of Israel, in slavery, 
in Egypt, and you have the one named Joseph, who is certainly in Egypt, and he is over Egypt, but he's not of Egypt. Because he seems to expect that there will be the fulfillment, this literal fulfillment of the promise. In Genesis 50, verse 24, we read this. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. He expected that there would be a literal fulfillment of the promise of God, the land promise of God. So, come to the book of Joshua. And you got the people of the nation of Israel. They now have laws. They've gotten the laws through the wilderness. Book of Exodus, we read of those. Book of Leviticus. They have the laws. And now they're getting ready to possess the land. They're standing there in front of the Jordan River, which, by the way, according to chapter 3, is now in flood stage. It's overflowing its banks. They're standing now before this land of promise. This is a generations-long promise that is being slowly revealed and unfolded throughout the centuries. They are on the cusp of the land. Why are they on the cusp of the land? They are on the cusp of the land because God is doing something. Do you remember the command that we read back when we first started in Joshua 1? The command that was given to Joshua? It was very important for him to remember and to keep All the words of Moses. Don't lose heart, they say to Joshua. God says to Joshua, don't lose heart. Be courageous. Stand on my word through my servant Moses. All those words, which were those words that we just went through and more. All of those promises unfolding throughout history, written down by Moses in the Decalogue, in the first five books of the Bible. And God says, Don't lose heart. Be courageous. Remember. Keep it. It should not leave your mouth, he says. Because as long as it doesn't leave your mouth, he says, you will have good success. You will have victory. But I think it's better to understand that word success or victory to refer to wisdom. Joshua, then you will have wisdom to know how to live rightly in these days. I like what one man said, Wayne Barber. He said, success is not having a great business and money... And money in the bank. It means you'll learn to act as you should. Learn to act as you should. Joshua, be strong, courageous, meditate on this word, keep it always in your mouth, because then you'll be able to act as you should. It shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it. This is so important, friends. It shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it. If you don't meditate on it, you will not obey it. And that word meditate is a word you think of you know, somebody, ohm, or whatever that dumb thing is, you know, that people do, and, and it's just craziness. And It's not what he's talking about here. That word meditate means to groan to oneself, to mumble to oneself. In other words, Joshua is to be so filled with the word that he is talking to himself about the word. You ever see somebody talk to themselves? You ever do? You ever talk to yourself, and you're just kind of rehashing in your mind what you know, and you're kind of Working these things out, that's what Joshua is to do. He is supposed to be bringing it up to himself over and over and over again like a 
cow chewing its cud. You ever see a cow just lying in the field, just so content, just munching. Just bringing them up and swallowing it again. Over and over, he is supposed to be delighting. Well, that's what happens when you, when you like something so much, you groan in it. You ever eat a good... Is my wife here? She's not. She loves cheesecake, cheesecake factory, like the darkest, richest chocolate you could ever have. And, and she gets, you're not allowed to talk to her when she's eating it. You just be quiet. And she gets a piece of that and she gets in her mouth and she's, mmm. I say, is it good? So delighting and, and it's helping her. That's the idea of meditating. You're bringing it up and it's so good. Joshua is standing there beholding the fulfillment of all that God had written down through his servant Moses from the words of God to the serpent to his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he is seeing it all unfold at this very moment before his very eyes. Wow. (laughs) Great. What a day that must have been for Joshua. He had spent so much time with Moses. He had communed with God. Remember in the tent of meeting. He knew the book of the law of Moses. He studied it. He meditated on it. And now he's seeing it all come to fruition. How thrilling it must have been for Joshua. Whose name by the way means the Lord's salvation. To realize he was not just coming to the end of 40 years of wandering. But that he was the one who would cause Israel to inherit the land that was originally promised by God to his forefather Abraham hundreds of years prior. And as he leads those people, he must continually keep the word on his mind and mouth, continually talking to himself about those promises made by the never-ending eternal God. Why? Because it would be difficult. It would be hard. There were enemies. And there were obstacles. There was opposition to the fulfillment of the promise of God. What do you do when it seems like there's a great obstacle to the fulfillment of the promise of God? Do you give up? Do you turn tail and run? Do you yield to the temptation to satisfy fleshly lust and its evil longings? No. You know what you do? You keep the word of God on your mouth and in your mind. You, you be strong and courageous to trust God uh, that God will be faithful to do what He said He will do. So, it's no surprise that we read in verse 10 of Joshua chapter 1 that immediately Joshua prepares the people to go across. It didn't matter that the river was in flood stage, chapter 3 verse 15, It didn't matter that there were enemies on the other side. Joshua was born for this moment. All that time he spent in the tent of meeting, Exodus 33, 11. All that time assisting Moses and trusting God was now coming to the point where it was bearing visible fruit in the life of the people of Israel. He's ready to lead because he knows that God has brought it about 
as it was. Going back to all those promises. And he just sees little by little by little by little. God doing what he said he would do. He's there at this moment in front of a flooded river. Because God was working. The place that the Lord is giving. And the people that the Lord is guiding. Chapter 1, verses 10 through 18, Joshua goes throughout the camp. He tells the people to get ready. Prepare themselves. Arm yourselves. Take your provisions. Get ready. We're going across. This is for the entire nation. This is not just for a select few. Even those tribes, if you remember in the book of Numbers, chapter 32, there were some tribes who had... Uh, stayed on the other side of the Jordan. They had asked Moses for that as an inheritance because they had uh, cattle and they wanted to stay there. But at this point, it's not just something for some of the tribes. It's for all of the tribes, all 12 tribes, to go across and possess the land as an inheritance on the opposite side of the Jordan. And of course, those tribes, Numbers 32, had promised that they would do that. And now they're following through on that promise. The land is promised is a promise given not to any other nation. It is irrevocable. In other words, the promise of this land is a perpetual promise, not something that can be revoked. God says, if you could revoke the seasons, then you could revoke my promise to my people. Read about that in Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah 33. There's some fantastic. He says this. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me. If the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below can be explored, then I will cast off the offspring of Israel for all that they have done. See, what was happening in that day is there were people saying, God's forgotten them. God's forgotten Israel. God's forgotten his people. And God says, it's impossible that I would cast them off entirely. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Have you not observed that these people are saying, the Lord has rejected the two clans that he chose. Thus they have despised my people so that they are no longer a nation in the sight. And the Lord says, if I have not established my covenant with day and night in the fixed order of heaven and earth, then I will reject the offspring of Jacob and David, my servant, and will not choose one of his offspring to rule over the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will restore their fortunes and I will have mercy. The reality is that as this people goes across the Jordan, they're all going together. And even though Israel as a nation, that they're going to possess it. But even though today Israel as a nation has still not possessed the land in its entirety, according to the boundaries that were given by God, we should understand something. What is that? That God is perfectly intent on fulfilling his word. He might have, for a time, set aside Israel, as it were. Indeed, right now, we're in the times of the Gentiles when God is building and gathering His church. He's actually bringing outsiders into the spiritual blessings of Abraham. But we can rest assured that He will yet fulfill His word perfectly, just as He said. In other words, we can know for certain that God will most certainly bring national Israel into the land completely what do we do until then we wait and we rest confidently 
that God is at work. God is building his church. God, you need to understand. You see, this is not a, 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 a picture. Some people come to the book of Joshua and they take it sort of as a picture of the Christian life and everything is a metaphor and everything is a figure and everything is allegorical and it's not. But the Bible does say that whatever things were written before were written for our learning and we learn something about God. And that is that God is systematically working toward his complete and total fulfillment of his eternal reason for creating everything and everyone. Let me make it more personal. God is systematically working toward the complete and total fulfillment for his eternal reason for creating you. So, what do you do? Same thing Joshua was instructed to do. You read the Bible. You meditate on it. You let it not depart from your mouth so that you can be careful to obey it. Then you will have success. Then you will have success in terms of living wisely with discretion in the present time. You see, what we have here in Joshua 1 is what happens when you have just one man who is so filled with the word that he inspires a nation. They are unified. They're ready to go. They're going to go help one another. They're going to encourage one another in the realization of the promise of God. God will guide this people into this land and provide for them as they go. There is a place that God is giving and a people whom God is guiding. And we are called to similar courageous trust in the Lord as we act in obedience to His Word. We know that God is doing something. And if you don't know that, you're really a miserable person. I don't know how else to say it. We know that God is certainly doing something. He certainly, though slowly, Bringing about the fulfillment of his promise. Second Peter chapter 3. He is not slack. Concerning his promises as some count slackness. He. Will do what he said he will do and we have this as a great reminder. We are standing on the promises of God. Listen to second Peter chapter 3. Verse 3, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, and they will say, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 
But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? What difference does the promise of God make? What, what, what do we do? How do we live? It, it, it has effect on our living. He says, you, you, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to be a godly people. Pursuing holiness and righteousness. You ought to be a looking people. Looking to the heavens. Looking for Christ. Waiting for, expecting moment by moment that He will come. Why? Because He promised. And God keeps His promises. You ought to be a living people in godliness and holiness and righteousness. A looking people looking to heaven. And a longing people waiting for and hastening the day of the Lord. Come Lord Jesus. That's what it means. Praying. Come Lord Jesus. Come on. Not, hey, give me five more minutes. I still want to do this with my kids. I still want to go here. I still want to get that boat. I still want to finish this house. No, come Lord Jesus right now. Come on, I'm ready. That's how you live. Because he's faithful to his promises. I heard this week of a young pastor who was greeting the people at his new church. And one old man approached him and asked how he was doing. The pastor, after a particularly difficult week, said, well, I'm hanging in there. That old man came close and took him by the, the shirt collar and pulled him in, looked him right in the eyes, and he said, don't ever say that you're hanging in there. Say you're standing fast. Don't just hang in. Stand fast. Stand pat. Stand firm. May the Lord use us to lead others to such courageous obedience. You know, We need leaders like Joshua today, don't we? Leaders who will spur us to trust the everlasting promises of God. And what I learned from Joshua, if I learn anything, is that if you're going to be a good leader, you better be a great follower. If you're going to be a good leader, you better be a great follower. Man, I'm looking at you this morning. You've got to be a great follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're going to be a good leader, you've got to be a great follower. You've got to get close to Him, following closely after God, standing fast on His Word, preparing ourselves by meditating on His Word day and night and talking to ourselves about it and delighting in it and reminding ourselves about His Word, continually keeping it so that we can know, you know, when we're standing in front of it, as it were, a, a raging river, we know we go forward because God has spoken. We, we don't have service tonight because today is our growth group Sunday. And so for those growth groups that will be taking time to discuss this, I just have four questions for you. Maybe you want to flesh these out and think about them. And even for just if you're not even going to grow through, just think about these things. Just curious, what, what promises of God keep you standing fast even in the face of opposition? What, what, what are you clinging to like a bulldog what promises of God keep you standing fast even in the face of opposition second question how are you taking God seriously 
all that time Joshua spent in, in, in the word, all that time he spent with Moses, seems to me that he was taking God seriously, that he believed that God was actually going to do what he said he was going to do. And at the right time, Joshua, by God's grace, would be put in just that place where he could be used by God. How are you taking God seriously? Are you living a holy and godly life? Or are you just acting as if it doesn't really matter? You're just playing games. Are you denying self? Are you denying sin? Are you witnessing for Christ? Or are you just living by the seat of your pants? How are you taking God seriously? Third question. What is your current practice of meditating on the word? How are you meditating on the word? And maybe I'll ask it this way. Will my current practice of meditating on the word sustain me? when opposition and obstacles show up. Someone is going to die. Someone's going to get sick. You're going to lose a job. Hardship's going to come. And the question is, will your current pattern and your current uh, mode of practice of meditating on the Word, will it sustain you or is it going to crush you? And then fourthly, so, so what promises of God keep you standing fast? How are you taking God seriously? What is your current practice of meditation? And then fourthly, what's your plan going forward? I can think of, of three things, three areas that you ought to focus on. One, meet regularly with God in prayerful worship. Meet regularly with God in prayerful worship. I'm not just talking about, you know, praying for a front parking place at Walmart. I'm talking about engaged and longed prayerful worship where you are meeting with God. Second, so meet with God first. Second, make use of the encouragement of the saints. I, I, I love that section in Joshua 1. Uh, 10 through 18, when the two and a half tribes that were outside across the Jordan said, we're going to go. And, and you know how Moses spoke of that? He spoke of it in terms of encouragement. We ought to make use of the encouragement of the saints. That's one thing that really makes me wonder about the state of the church as a whole. I'm not sure that I see the engagement of brothers and sisters in Christ for consistent encouragement. I worry that some uh, uh, neglect the gathering of themselves together. Like you said in Hebrews chapter 10. I worry about that. Because that's something God has given for your encouragement. And I'll tell you, as long as things are pretty easy and we just keep coasting and we keep doing what we're doing, ah, no worries. But the second you introduce some problem, you find the rug pulled out from underneath you and you've got no you have nobody around you. to Don't just come to church. Be the church. Be part. Engaged. Meet with God regularly in prayerful worship. Make use of the encouragement of the saints. And then I say four. Meditate on the word. Don't just read it. Medi Here's a vivid word picture. Practice. And I'll make a new word up. Regurgitative reading. Constantly 
mulling it over in your head and speak mumbling it to yourself. Speak, that's right, here's what God said. God said that, that, that I have to give an account. One day I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of, of Christ. I started writing down some, some promises that keep me. Uh, listen, I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I have to give an account and I'm talking to myself. There, there's some strength against temptation. You're fighting temptation? Start, start reading. Start remembering 2 Corinthians 5.10. You're going through a difficult time, a heartache. You start remembering and reciting to yourself Romans 8, 28 through 30 and think of the grand eternal scheme of God's plan, eternal plan of redemption. Consider 1 Peter 1, though I'm tried right now, I am waiting for that my, my, my faith is going to, this trial is just purifying my faith or Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 or whatever those promises are, just continually bringing it before you. The strengthening in these days while God is doing something. He is systematically, as I said before, He is systematically working toward the complete and total fulfillment of His eternal reason for creating everything and everyone. I remember when I was in, in high school, someone reminded me this week of, I was attempted to be a wrestler in high school. I didn't wear a mask or hit anybody with a chair, although it would have been cool. But I was a wrestler, and I remember the coach, if we, were, if we were joking around, not getting serious, he'd look at us and he'd say, get with the program. I'm going to say to you today, God is systematically working toward the complete and total fulfillment of his eternal reason for creating everything and everyone. So get with the program. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the book of Joshua and for this uh, lesson in your eternal faithfulness. Your eternal faithfulness, O Lord, requires of us a courageous faithfulness to stand on your side, to believe you, to trust you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to do that even now. Thank you that you are a faithful God who never lies. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Would you stand together?